Welcome to Heating Up. Oh, n- no, we can't do this reversed. Okay, fine, go. <laughs> Welcome to Heating Up. A podcast about climate change. Our dangerous future. And what you can do about it. That's us. That's us. I'm Derek. I'm Corinne. And we're your hosts of this here uh, third best Sacramento-based <laughs> environmental disaster podcast. We we're fairly certain. Yeah. Confident in that ranking. Considering we only know of one other podcast based in Sacramento. About climate change. Yeah. (laughs) So in case there is a second one we don't know about. It's probably better than us anyways. Yeah. Uh, Well, thank you guys for listening. Thank If you're new, welcome to the pod. If you uh, like us, comment. Yeah, if you uh, enjoy this podcast, all 30 seconds so far, mm-hmm. yeah, just 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 30 seconds, boom, like it, subscribe yeah. it, You don't need to listen review. anymore to know you Great love times. it. Great times. The best opening 30 seconds I've ever heard of a Sacramento climate change disaster podcast. It's at least the third best. At least. <laughs> top three. <laughs> well, uh, we're going to go old school this okay. week, Corinne. We're going to go news quiz for you. No. Yeah. I always do so good at them. Yeah. <laughs> We've got lots of stuff to talk about this week, though. Lots of good... I mean, this was a week here, especially in California. I don't know how big nationally the story was, but California was experiencing huge blackouts due to PG&E, which we had talked about on the pod previously that they, you know, before fire season started, they said they were going to do it. Sure enough, they rolled it out. So we'll get to that later today. But before I guess we get into the news, Corinne, we should do our little uh, updates on one another. How's your life been the last two weeks? Um, not very exciting, just working. I have, uh, where I work, I work in the Folsom area, and it is really smoky. I don't know if they're still doing a controlled burn. I think it's controlled burns Uh, out there, yeah. It's been doing it for like a week and a half. Anyway, I've had a headache every single day. I've been in a real cranky mood. Um, More than normal. More than typically. Uh, but, so the only thing that can make me feel better is basically, like, I'll go online shopping for candles that smell like Christmas. Uh... (laughs) So if I'm going to be smelling smoke, I might as well smell pine, pine. and smoke. Yeah. Yes. Um, so just that and uh, soccer. I have a, an amazing uh, team called the Wolves. They are the greatest team to have ever existed. And uh, other than that, nothing because I'm really lame. Yeah. I mean, same here. I work out in Folsom. There's lots of smoke. We've had crazy times around here mj broke her arm on no. thursday so this weekend was a little crazy she had a soccer tournament all weekend and she couldn't play in it because she broke her arm at our last practice before the tournament so we were missing five girls for that team so it was a it was a rough time we did come in third but third for losing your first four like we, four of, four your of top our players. nine starter or yeah four of the nine starters were gone plus another two off the bench gone this is a rough none a rough of those year. girls got any subs did they there was they not no, many subs. They did not have Everybody much got subs. a lot of playing time. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, so that's what I've been up to. And, and yeah. MJ is fine. MJ is fine. She got picked it. a purple cast out of irony? Uh, well, no. She had, It was funny because uh, MJ decided to go for purple for the color of the cast. She was debating between purple and pink. And if you know anything about MJ, pink is not really her brand of uh, you know childhood femininity. But she was like, you know what? I was going to go for pink because that's the color most people think I wouldn't pick. <laughs> so she's like reverse, reverse psyching out kids in her class now. She's next level. Double sort of, freak yeah. out. Yeah. Anywho, uh, let's get right into the news, Corinne. Okay. Let's just bing, bang, boom. Just let's do a quick episode here today. Hit me with it. we got a lot of news to cover. Oh, God. Well, 
Well, actually, there's only like five or six stories. Where I'm going to parsed it down. It's not bad. Not a ton of bad. We're going to hit you with the bad up front like I always like to do. Yes. All right. How many people in India died? <laughs> Japan. <this time. laughs> Dang it. Japan. So Japan has been hit by a massive typhoon uh, known as the worst storm in 60 years. The death toll has continued to climb as parts of Japan remain inundated several days after Hagibis, H-A-G-I-B-I-S. Uh, sure. That's the typhoon name, made landfall in central Honshu. At least 49 people have died in the chaos. 14 remain missing and 204 were injured, according to the most recent report I saw. However, the Japanese government's Fire and Disaster Management Agency announced a much lower death count on Sunday night, according to the Associated Press. As of Monday, at least more than 65,000 people remained without power on the island. More than 6 million people have been advised to evacuate ahead of the typhoon, according to the Kyoto News. As of noon Monday, 38,000 people remained in shelters. Much of the areas impacted remained underwater. At least 24 levees have collapsed on 21 rivers due to the heavy rain. And floodwaters inundated several neighboring cities and towns, forcing people from their homes. A record level of nearly 1,000 millimeters is how they recorded it. Which how am comes I supposed to know what 1,000 millimeters is? Pretty close to 39 inches. Okay. Yeah. Uh, from the storm fallen o- over Hakone Town in the Kanagawa Prefecture. Over the time span of 48 hours. So 39 inches, 48 hours. That's like a little over three feet. Yeah, that's that's a good amount of rain. So Pretty rainy. Hard yeah, rain. Not great. So you ready for your first news quiz question? Uh, yes. Yeah. Of course, Japan has had its share of natural disasters recently, or and unnatural disasters, given the Fukushima meltdown a few years ago. Right, right. Japanese movie makers, however, predicted a different type of disaster that is yet to occur. And this I'm talking, of course, about Godzilla attacks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what year did the original Godzilla movie release? Oh, no. Uh, was it Five 1954? Oh, my God. No way. Oh. <laughs> Out I of am, nowhere. I am a movie genius. Oh, beep, beep, beep. Starting it off strong. Wow. Friend. And that was a year guess. Yeah. No options either. <laughs> Just pulled it out and of then your hat. Ten seconds. I feel like it. maybe you could read my paper, I, so Derek, I'm gonna. Turn I am blunt. <laughs> Would you not solely my correct answer? <laughs> I did not cheat. I Good cannot yeah. see that well. The original Godzilla movie came out in 1954. Wow. All right, moving on, Corinne. I don't know. Let's quit while I'm ahead. I have never felt so good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. Bow wow, Kuma. Bow wow. This is laughter, Kuma. She doesn't recognize it. Oh. Chill out, dog. Quiet. Hey. The only other time I've been that proud was in a trivia game where they asked, where was Tupac killed? Uh, to which I responded, Las Vegas. Nobody in my group knew except for me. This is So this was number two most proud moment of my life. Second best yeah. uh, trivia. Trivia answers. No, just of my life. Of your life. <laughs> it's a sad life. Yes. Both of your top twos are trivia? Yeah. Okay. Next question, Corinne, moves us to Australia, where bushfires have continued to trouble the continent. Mm-hmm. We've talked about bushfires in Australia pretty much for the last six months. It's kind of like the reverse of our season, so they're in, obviously, the end of their... fire season. Yeah, so they're starting their summer as we're starting our winter, but yeah, they're basically always in fire season. Uh, firefighters are still working to contain northern New South Wales bushfires before temperatures rise in the coming days. Uh, The Busby Flat and Drake fires continued to burn along with several other blazes on Sunday after a horror week in which an elderly couple died and at least 55 homes were destroyed. 
Hmm. On Sunday, the Prime Minister and New South Wales Premier visited the Northern Rivers Fire Control and Emergency Operations Centre, close to where the bushfires left a trail of devastation in their wake. Rain earlier last week uh, had eased conditions significantly, but it wasn't enough to extinguish the fires. Crews would keep working to contain them before temperatures and winds rise again in the coming week. Uh, we've talked quite a bit about Australia bushfires, Corinne. Yes. Uh, Australia is also known as the birthplace of Earth's mightiest hero, Steve Irwin the Crocodile of Hunter. Of course. Yes. While best known for his many television shows and his conservation work, Steve Irwin did star in one major motion picture. What was the full title of the movie? Uh, I have no... Uh, cro- crocodile Dundee? <laughs> it's Crocodile. It's a movie. Come on. Uh, I have no is idea. Is that your final answer? That's my final answer. The movie was The Crocodile Hunter Collision Course. Okay, so it was a movie basic, based uh, okay. on The Crocodile. It wasn't we like... saw it on vacation. Do you not remember this? No. When did we see this on vacation? We saw it in a tiny theater in like Utah somewhere. Yeah, I remember this decidedly. Remember Steve Irwin tracks... Oh, the plot. If you, do you want bonus points if you can remember the plot? Well, you don't. You I clearly can't. don't. Okay. In the film, Irwin, who played himself mistake some CIA agents for poachers because the CIA agents are chasing a crocodile that swallowed like a GPS tracker or something that they were trying to locate. What year do you think we saw this? This was, uh, the film came out in the like late, early 2000s, late 90s. So you're talking about the trip when we went through Utah. The, we took a the, lot of trips through that Utah. That horrible trip that shall never be named. I think so. Okay, no wonder I don't remember. You blocked it I all from your memory. I blocked it all out of my memory. This sort of seems familiar but like in a dreams i had sometimes yeah. it won best family feature film award at the young artist awards that year i do follow his daughter on instagram yeah she's quite lovely recently engaged all right we're moving on okay moving on next one corinne another classic heating up podcast type story here yes animal attack yeah yeah this story made the news quite a bit because it was a two-parter at first an elderly couple was attacked by an animal outside their home in florida and the stories were going wild because they thought it was a bobcat that had attacked them and then the story shifted as dna evidence from the hair from the animal revealed not a bobcat in fact a raccoon had attacked them how does one confuse that with a well i mean when there is a furry teeth and claws thing flying at you you're really not doing the taxonomy i don't think okay but one is like two feet i don't know but here's what i'm saying eslin Frey, 85 and her husband rupert 71 were both hurt when the animal attacked them and they were on the early morning walk uh in yeah around their apartment complex eslin had a piece of her finger bitten off according to her brother-in-law who thought it was and and she had originally thought it was a bobcat she also suffered injuries to her forehead and her hands, and her lips were bitten. So I don't know how it got that's up to her bad, lips, but yeah, I feel like was when it this, rabid? Well, that's the thing, is now they're trying to find out whether it was rabid or not. They don't know yet. Raccoons, however, are the number one carrier of rabies in the United States today. I knew where this was headed. But that wasn't always the case. In fact, what president kept a raccoon as a pet in the White House? FDR. No. Similar. Close in time frame, I guess. <laughs> Calvin Coolidge. Coolidge. All right. Yeah. Rebecca the raccoon lived with Calvin Coolidge for part of his presidency. At the time, raccoon meat wasn't a terribly uncommon sight on dinner tables in mm. North America. But once he met the living critter, Coolidge decided he was more interested in adopting her than having her for supper. Rebecca soon became part of the family, receiving an engraved collar for Christmas, taking part in the annual Easter egg roll, and frequently accompanying the president on walks around the White House grounds. Having a wild animal in the White House may sound absurd by today's standards, 
but considering Coolidge's pets at the time included a bobcat, a goose, a donkey, two lion cubs, an antelope, and a wallaby. She fit right in. Donald yeah. Trump won't even get a dog. No. Monster. Yeah. Next story, Corinne. Okay. Plagues of locusts. Another classic. Uh, Plagues. Very biblical. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. So Tuesday, October 8th, millions of crickets swarmed the areas in and around San Antonio after the perfect conditions swept through the region. Oof. It's technically not an invasion because they didn't come from anywhere, right? We just have the perfect three conditions that kind of happened to happen consecutively for them to just do really, really well this time of year. Entomologist from Texas A&M, Molly Keck, told AccuWeather, the cr- three conditions needed to align for an explosion of the cricket population. Number one, a dry summer to limit funguses that is deadly to young crickets. Mm-hmm. Number two, an interruption of the rain. And number three, the arrival of cold temperatures. So clearly climate change related, right? Right. So as the climate changes, those conditions become more likely to occur. In fact, this year, that's exactly what happened. This summer was the driest it's ever been in San Antonio since 2013, when they received 3.6 inches. Uh, the city had received only 5.9 inches of rain all summer, which is just 66% of their average. The last significant rainfall happened on September 19th, so they had a bit of a dry spout there going on through this weekend, and then the cold front hit. So this past week, uh, crickets just showed up everywhere. So there's pictures of it all over the town. They're like, oh, basically anything is covered in crickets. Schools had to like push doors open and were like sliding crickets out of the way. school. Everything was just covered in crickets. I'd your be like, car, this is a biblical floor, disaster. Everything. Well, they, or, I mean, it wasn't locusts. It's crickets. I know. It's, it's crickets. a bit of a difference. It's kind of cuter. Still, but... not great. And uh, we're all cli- all, I'm going to categorize that as a climate change disaster. Okay, yeah. Yeah, why not? But it's a nicer one than the ones we normally cover. <laughs> Certainly. Nowhere near as many deaths. That's always nice. Yeah. You ready for your question? I'm ready. This one's not about crickets. I tried to find some oh, fancy no. facts. Here it is. So San Antonio, Texas, right? According to Google Maps driving directions, which of the following road trips is the shortest? You're going to get four choices. Okay. All right, number one, San Antonio, Texas to El Paso, Texas. Number two, Detroit, Michigan to Washington, D.C. Number three, Portland, Oregon to Reno, Nevada. Or number four, Albuquerque, New Mexico to Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. The Portland one. Portland to Reno? Yeah. No. Which one is it? Do you want to try another guess? No. No. Too many to. The shortest of all three of or all four of those was Detroit, Michigan to Washington D.C. See, that seemed too far. (laughs) Exactly. I knew you did not know your geography. (laughs) So this one was uh, always going to be rough. I was like, well, the one in Texas can't be. That's the trick because it's got to be. It's now it's the same state, but it's huge. That's actually the longest of all of them. That was my guess. So according to Google Maps, and I'm sure this isn't just the crow flies. So don't at me about this Don't stuff this is me. just what i'm sure we get lots of ads yeah, this is what uh google uh, maps tells me san antonio texas to el paso texas 551 miles detroit michigan to washington dc 526 miles portland oregon to reno nevada 531 and albuquerque new mexico to oklahoma city 544 the only one who I reasonably could know the distance really was the Reno to Portland. I mean, one. you could reasonably know the difference because you live in this country and they're all places in this country. Oh, please. This country's humongous. That's my point. Anyways. Anyway. Next question. And the last question in which we have a uh, news quiz question for you. Mm-hmm. So you started out strong, Corinne. Derek, shut it. But you have not been doing great with the remainings. You're one for four right now. Well, it was an amazing one. Okay, but you, you, this last one I feel like you have a chance on. But okay. first, the story. Okay, Sacramento mm. made the news again. Yes, we did. Maybe not for great things, though. No? Yeah, okay. So 
a church in Sacramento made the news in an L.A. Times article about contamination in water from toxic firefighting foam. What? I did not know about yeah, this. Yeah, you didn't catch this one. But a church just south of here, like literally you could like run there if you were a running type person. Right? <laughs> if I was a couple a miles away from here. Uh, like four miles from our front door is Bethany Slavic Missionary Church. After morning services, there is apparently a long-standing tradition of worshippers filling jugs with gallons of free drinking water from the well on the property, a practice church leaders had encouraged. Quote, I take it for my office every week, said one guy, which claims the church claims 7,000 congregants. Church leaders boasted that it was the cleanest water in Sacramento. In fact, test results showed the water contained toxic chemicals from firefighting foam used for decades on the now-shuttered Air Force Base a mile away. Church leaders say they did not understand that their well was contaminated. The church's well was one of thousands of water sources located on or near military bases polluted with chemicals from the foam, which was used by armed services since the 1960s. Defense Department officials know that the chemicals, called polyflocal substances or PFASs, have seeped into the groundwater underneath nearly two dozen military bases throughout the state, but the department has conducted only limited testing off-base and cannot say how many civilian water sources they've polluted or who will pay for it. Uh, we know the answer to that, though. <laughs> so, I do have some questions. Okay. Why was getting water from this church a tradition? I don't know. <laughs> That's weird, guys. <laughs> just gonna say it a little strange what was really sad is the story about uh contaminated water from the church had pictures of like them doing a baptism and like all these people like in a pool of water and you're like is that water contaminated yeah did they not tell them to get out of that water and how did they find out the water was contaminated uh doing some testing i guess i don't know who did the testing whether the church paid for it or whether just enough people were getting liver cancer that like maybe it's the water Uh, California has the most of those 90 air bases where there's the stuff going on of any state, with contamination at at least 21 bases, including six where the chemicals threaten water supply, the full water supply to nearby communities. At Joint Forces Training Base in Los Alamitos and Fresno National Guard Air Base, the chemicals are suspected of moving into the community water supply. That doesn't make me concerned at all. One military contractor warned in September that residents, quote, using underground for drinking water, or sorry, using groundwater for drinking water, near Los Alamitos, may potentially be exposed to the contamination. Another contractor said in March that five wells west of Fresno Airfield could be affected. But the Pentagon has not completed off-base training at either location, and at other California bases, leaving the full extent of the contamination unknown. The Pentagon faces the prospect of gigantic environmental cleanup, and the officials estimate the cost could exceed $2 billion and take decades to complete. Hmm. I wonder so, when they get started on that. Yeah, and they're going to get on that real quick, I'm pretty sure. Hmm. Here's your question, Corinne, and this okay. is one that you should know a little bit about. California Thanks. is, of course, no stranger to poisoned water supplies. Your favorite, Aaron Brockovich, fought to reveal the contamination of water from PG&E sources in what small town? Oh, no, I've seen this movie so many times. Oh, no. It's like a desert town. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to take this guess. Uh, it's not that going to take five more seconds here. This is great You're podcasting. You're going to give me just a little bit more than five seconds. Three seconds. Two seconds. Ridgecrest, because that's the only thing I can think no. of. Hinkley. Oh, who was going to guess that? I knew Anyone it was Anyone who di- knew Aaron Brockovich well, as much as you claim to know Aaron Brockovich. I just claimed to know it was PG&E. That's true. Whatever. Remember that time when I knew when Godzilla was uh That's true. Released? We should focus on the positive. Somehow you guessed the right year for Godzilla. <laughs> right out of the gate. Started so strong and then just faded. Just like 
just like you in most things. Thank you, Derek. Yeah, real, real uh, potential. And then just... This is a little too close to the truth. <laughs> We're getting a little too real for a Monday afternoon. All right. We do have more news, though. Mm. So here's a real story for you, Karen. This is the one that I was most concerned of this past week. I don't know if you remember Jessica... Sorry, Jessica Resnick and Ruby Montoya. They're the two activists that have been accused of sabotaging the Dapple pipeline. Yes. Well, they were charged, and they both face over 100 years of jail time yeah. for their actions. So they vandalized the Dakota Access Pipeline, or are accused of vandalizing the pipeline to stop, halt construction, have been indicted on charges that carry up to 110 years in prison and hundreds and thousands of dollars in fines. They are among the harshest penalties environmental activists have faced in the last decade. And let's all just remember Brock Turner had six months in jail? Brock Turner had six months in jail for raping a woman. That cop who shot the guy in his own home got sentenced for 10 years. And a hug. And a hug, yeah. Civil liberties lawyers, however, say that the charges are in line with industry-inspired scare tactics meant to deter citizens from participating in direct action protests or acts of sabotage against oil and gas pipelines. Ruby and Jessica, who stand accused of damaging pipeline valve sites using a welding torch, tires ignited by fire, and gasoline-soaked rags, are part of that trend. Lawyer from the Civil Liberties Defense Center, who is representing Montoya, said, I wish the government would have used the same resources to go after the oil companies and pipeline companies, but clearly they're not interested in that. They shouldn't be prosecuted, they should be praised. They're trying to stop the destruction of the human race. At an energy industry conference in 2018, Kelsey Warren, CEO and board chair of Energy Transfer, a company involved in the pipeline, mentioned Resnick and Montoya's actions, saying, she, quote, I think you're talking about somebody who needs to be removed from the gene pool. Wow. So with that kind of attitude, maybe 100 years is better than just being executed for victimless crime. The in oil industry used the acts of sabotage to push for extensive crackdowns on pipeline protesters who are completely peaceful. Meanwhile, since it started operating, the Dakota Access Pipeline has had at least 10 spills. Uh, this past June, Energy Transfer announced plans to nearly double the pipeline's capacity. Thank you for that bummer. Right? Yeah. Um, which is interesting because the same week as well, while we've been on Gone, has been the ongoing actions from uh, Extinction Rebellion. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean... Obviously, there is there is an attempt to try and deter people from taking action to save the planet going on. Uh, Jessica and Ruby are going to be essentially martyrs for that cause, it seems like. They're really trying to throw everything at them as a way to discourage people from taking the obvious choice, which is when the government isn't going to stop it, and the companies certainly aren't going to stop it. Somebody's got to go out there and stop it. It's like if this were a Disney movie, we'd all know who the bad guy was. Sure. <laughs> but this is real life, and for some reason people are confused on who the bad guy is. Right? Just seems odd. Yeah. All right. And then, of course, the story we have to get to today, Corinne, hmm. the California power outages. Ah, yes. We knew we were going to get to it. Uh, California has always promised Americans a glimpse of the future, but this week the Golden State is forecasting a future that nobody wants to live in, is the headline from this article that I read. <laughs> from this article that I read? <laughs> I sorry, I didn't even, I just plagiarized it straight off of there, so I'm going to say something else. So we're always talking about uh, this podcast being about our dangerous future, right? Right. And so I think that what we saw this week is a perfect example of what that future is going to look like a lot more often, and PG&E has even come out and said it. So if you've listened to this podcast for a while, you know we talked about this when they first announced the plans to do this. PG&E said they were going to cut people's power off, 
and then it was going to just be blanket power outages for hospitals and apartment buildings and low-income people and anybody who doesn't have a private generator, uh, which is all of us pores. Uh, So they said they were going to do it, and sure enough, they did it, right? And there have been a lot of stories this week about how PG&E completely mismanaged their money and over the last 20 years spent all this money on, you know, bonuses and on, you know, promotion and on whatever else and not on actually upgrading their infrastructure so it didn't start so many damn fires. Right. But those stories almost kind of miss the point, which is that this is the new normal, right? So this is California first, but it's going to be everywhere as everywhere else starts heating up in the same way and starts getting these risks of fires. There's plenty of other states where this is going to start happening more and more. And by doing it this once, it's sort of like that uh, it sets the, it softens the blow. Now it becomes an accepted practice to just shut the power off for millions of Americans, millions of people in California lost power this weekend. California, always a leader. Right? So the numbers vary, depending, but the shutoff numbers kind of lie. So you see somewhere between 600,000 and 800,000 shutoffs, but that number doesn't actually count how many people were shut off. So like one apartment building, you know, where there's hundreds and hundreds, that counts as one. Mm -hmm. So when you say 800,000, you know, places are without power, that could mean, that does mean millions of people all over the state. Uh, So, I mean, again, this is a blackout that was caused by an overlapping series of crises, right? It's not just the fires, but it's legal, financial, ecological, all sorts of fires and are all sorts of problems. And they confront this state as well as all sorts of other states. So, like, getting used to these fires. What was crazy is how I saw so many articles in the past week about people preparing for this uh, or, you know, not being prepared for the the blackouts, even when they knew it was coming. And Mm -hmm. PG&E did a shit job of telling people it was coming. What? Right? Surprisingly, they didn't tell people that power was going to be shut off on Wednesday until Monday. And then the website that they put up immediately crashed because too many people went to go see if their power was going out. And then everywhere was out of water and flashlights and food. Yeah, so the local, like, distributors didn't have time to even get the supplies in place. And then... Even if they did, the power went out. Right. And so, and you, a lot of people didn't know if they were going to lose power, and certainly not when they were going to get it back. So even though power wasn't out for too terribly long for most How people. How long was it out for? Uh, some pe- most people from three to five days. That's kind of a long time. It is a long time, but it could be if up to two weeks or more. you just to Costco, you're out $300. Sure. And it's one of those things where, yeah, so many people completely unprepared and when the power goes out in many places the water gets shut off all sorts of things we've we've talked about power outages in the past we've talked about getting your home ready for two weeks for exactly this reason um but so many people aren't prepared so hopefully anyone who listened to this podcast who experienced the the thing looking at me like that might well i'm saying anyone who would listen to our podcast who experienced some of these blackouts hopefully they had done some step to prepare it and ease the suffering that comes from that or if they hadn't this is a chance this is a wake-up call should be yeah pretty eye-opening for anyone in this state or anyone anywhere to start getting prepared because that's that's the whole point of this show right grand i mean it's kind of kind of what we're doing here the whole thing it does seem weird since we've started this i see the maybe it's you know self-fulfilling prophecy self-fulfilling prophecy but i do see these signs of disaster preparedness you know being in the zeitgeist a lot more since we started this people talking about it and it becoming yeah this new normal sort of thing so here's the other thing. People are talking about the monetary losses to this uh, blackout. Uh, the number you see thrown around a lot is $2.5 billion. Uh, And most of that is going to be silently incurred by businesses, they say. 
but that's not really where it's being encouraged. So yeah, businesses are going to be out by $2.5 billion, but it doesn't mention like lost wages for people that can't get to work or whose works were shut down because of the power. People so again, forget that a lot of people have jobs in food service or retail and those jobs, they have no power, they can't work. And exactly they don't right. get money for those days they missed. Yeah, your boss isn't going to pay you just because the power went out. No, what they are aren't. you talking about? Yeah, that's crazy talk, Corinne. Right. Um, so, I mean, these are, again... It, it's like a double whammy for poor people because the rich people have the generators and they can take a day off or take sick days or whatever to cover this thing. But if you're working at, you know, the local Burger King, yeah, you're out. You're out. And again, fires are getting worse. We've talked about this as well. Uh, Half of the 10 worst or half of the 10 largest fires in California have been in the last decade. Since 1972, the annual burned area in the state has increased fivefold. Uh, a trend attributable to the 2.5 degree Fahrenheit rise in summer temperatures, according to a recent peer-reviewed study. Yeah. I mean, this story also brought back up the idea when PG&E was recently held criminally liable for the campfire and was forced to pay back $11 billion insurance claims on the campfire. Not nearly enough. No, the actual cost of the campfire was $16.5 billion, according to some estimates, so nowhere near the total cost of the fire. And not to mention just lives lost and, you know, destroyed and ruined you know mm-hmm. livelihoods uh the fire was one of the most expensive natural disasters anywhere in the world last year uh, but that wasn't it i mean pg e what did we say the last time we talked about it? they were responsible for like fifteen thousand fires something like that it's just a crazy amount i'm sure there's more that we can't prove oh sure um and you know this all could just be but this is their solution for solving it, it isn't upgrade the infrastructure the solution is cut off power cut it off so yeah it's just one of these things yeah you got to start getting ready for it and it just was a, you know, real chaotic week. Luckily, there was, you know, the fires themselves haven't been terrible. There are fires going in Southern California in particular that kind of sparked up overnight. Um, and the fire season this year, knock on wood, has, you know, not I been. I think compared to the campfire year, it just seems mild. I'm sure, sure it's probably terrible. I mean, it may be mild in general, but, you know, tragedy is local, right? So even if, you know, yours is the only house that burns down. Right. Pretty your tragic. house still burned down. Pretty tragic for you. Yeah. So another good uh, reason everyone should get prepared for the climate catastrophes, which are... I just are, made a note. I was like, how many flashlights do I have? Only two. Not enough. Not enough. And that is, I guess, kind of the end of the news this week. I know it wasn't as uh, lengthy or as uh, kind of intense as we normally do, but like kind I said, nice. had a soccer tournament all weekend, didn't have a lot of time to prepare. Broken arms. Yeah, broken arms. It's been a kind of crazy week around here at the household. We do have, uh, not us, or, or not our event, but we will be going to the event on October 24th, uh, which is the Climate Change Build-A-Go Bag uh, seminar going on here in Sacramento, being put on by uh, NPWE, the Network of Professionals in Water and the Environment. And where is that going to be It's going to be at Pizzeria Urbano, which is down on 20th Street in downtown Sacramento. Uh, you and a bug out bag. Yeah, there's a Facebook page for it. So I think we might try and post it on, the, on, the, our, on our Facebook page. So if you're friend, follow us on Facebook, we'll post a link to it. Otherwise, you can probably find it there. Uh, just look for it. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a fun of time, I think. Really good. Again... Go bags are really important uh, pieces of prep because sometimes your house is about to burn down and you got to flee. Um, and you don't want to spend the last few minutes like trying to find one of those two flashlights. You want it in the bag ready to go. But I'm sure they will talk all about that. Or you can listen to our two-part bug out bag spectacular. Uh, go back into the, the archives and find that. Yeah. Um, other than that, Corinne, I don't know if we have much else going on this week. 
I think that'll do it. Um, I think next week we're going to, or yeah, next uh, podcast we're going to cover uh, house fires. Oh. Yeah. Scary. I was going to do that this week. Did not have much, enough time to prepare for it. So I would just be sitting here like completely reading off a paper, and I don't think that's great podcasting. No? So we're gonna we're gonna delay it and do it do it up right next week. Okay. Um, yeah. So how to prepare for a fire in the home? Scary next stuff. time out. Thank you guys for listening. Like we said before, please like, subscribe, uh, write a Comment. review. Just send a send something to us. Tell us you're listening. We always enjoy hearing from you guys. Try and make that uh, bug out bag bug out bag seminar on the twenty fourth, and we will see you in two weeks. Thank you so much.